talk us through those 80 minutes. No, we prepared to win. We knew that we were here to make history. The whole week, that's what we told ourselves. And you know what? I'm so proud of the boys. Absolutely humbled. And the guys came out. They played with enormous testicles. And we absolutely did it. Fantastic effort. I'm such a happy captain. G'day, good evening, good morning, wherever you are. Welcome to the Dropped Kickoff for another week. My name is Nick Lassiliev, back for the first time in a little while. It's been a crazy couple of weeks uh, in Dropped Kickoff land. We've had people moving houses, we've had people overseas covering World Cups, uh, so it's been a scheduling nightmare. But we're back here to talk about uh, the end of the World Cup, but also let's talk about what the hell is going on with the Wallabies right now, because it's fair to say people are pissed, opinions are, are flying all over the place. And joining me right now is Nathan Williamson. Nathan, are you feeling fresh, refreshed after coming back from a from what would have been a, a fun time over in New Zealand? How are we feeling? Mate, these European time slots are keeping me keeping me busy, but you know what? It's it's good to be back. It's good to. I'm not sure if it's a good time in terms of results wise, but you know what? It's there's plenty to talk about in rugby, and you know what? In mid- middle of November, we haven't been able to say that for a while, so you know. We've got had some good results in the sevens. Wallaroos, as we'll touch on, a promising quarterfinal. And of the Wallabies, well, yeah. We'll, 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 as you said, we'll get to that. So, look, it's look, always always an interesting time in rugby. I feel like, look, I feel like everyone has done, done had uh, the, the chats and the song and dance on the on the Women's Rugby World Cup uh, and, and the result that went down there with, of course, as, as mentioned, New Zealand claiming the uh, the World Cup in, I don't want to say controversial circumstances, but I think everyone's been kind of, there's been a lot of talking points from that grand final. Let's do like a, our quick two cents worth before we dive into the meat of it, because I mean, frankly, it's the only positive rugby thing I think we can really talk about in this podcast this week. So um, let's talk about it. I mean, obviously we went down in the quarterfinal to England and we, we, we had a feeling it was going to happen, but you know, there was a lot to take from it. What are our final thoughts um, on this uh, on on this Women's World Cup? Firstly, in terms of positives, I mean, we've still got the sevens in Hong Kong, so which has happened in, in in the three weeks. So that's that's a small small light. But I mean, this World Cup, honestly, could be one of the best finals in World Cup history. Like there were points of plenty. It was a great standard of rugby, um, right down to the wire. You know. I, again, as I might be saying this because I'm a forward and I'd love a good rolling ball, but the way both the way England were able to dominate even down a player, the way New Zealand kept just throwing the ball around, had that flair, the crowd getting behind it, like it was. You don't write scripts better than that. It was perfect, perfect way to end. What's been a really good World Cup, and yeah, credit to New Zealand. They were they were too good on the day, and you know. And the 30-game winning streak of England. Um, see, I don't know. I, I, like, it was an interesting one, but the, I mean, it, it was kind of a question around the, do, what do we think about that that call in terms of the red card? Because um, the, the red card effectively I, I did, I think, even the game up considerably. New Zealand definitely came to play, though. Like, like, let's not, I agree with you, let's not diminish the achievement that the Black Ferns made here. Winning at home, there was clearly pressure. Um, and... You know, coming up against a side that you know, it's fair to argue. Who I don't think it's fair to you can't deny that that England women's team is probably the most high, like the best performing team in the world right now. They're just so functional. They they are so clinical, and yet they found a way. It was they found a way to win. Do we? 
Uh, do we feel like it's there's going to be discussion? I mean, there's going to be discussion for days around that that referee call. But do you think it, it it diminished the game in any way, shape, or form, or do you think it's still a case of well, backs against the wall, and you've got to and you've got to and you've got to take it to the fight? I think it's one of those things. I, I think it was the correct call first and foremost. Like if you're going to come, I've been pretty clear that you know if you come across at that speed and no mitigation, you've got to get a red. And you know we don't we don't like judging things on injury and stuff like that. But, you know, it left left Blackbird's opposition pretty shaken up. But I, I, I think I think you're right with the point there. It might it just even it up a little bit. I mean, take as as you said, take nothing away from the game. It was it was an incredible performance by both sides. It just yeah, you would have you would have liked to see what would happen if it was fifteen on fifteen. But you know, that's that's rugby. You can't control that sort of stuff and, you know, credit to the Kiwis. It's I want I it's a pity we couldn't get Josh Murphy on to talk about it because I really want to ask where when next world when the next um women's world cup comes along um I just felt like this was a I don't want to say a coming of age moment because obviously the tournament has been going for a very long has been going for a long time but it did feel like that considering how many people were there the quality of the game served up um and how strong both sides were it felt like it was a real moment of I don't want to say like say coming of age, but just something there was something about it that really had an extra layer of oomph to it. Um, what do we hope to see at the next World Cup? What are, what are our like if you if let's put a let's throw a hypothetical out there and just say, come the next World Cup, the next you know women's World Cup, obviously more teams being professional is an absolute is a, is an absolute no brainer. But seeing as you were there, you've been there. You 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 did the you've kind of uh, done the song and dance of the World Cup probably more than it, more than anyone else. Um, what uh, where do you think what what is the what do we get what do we what are our like big things that we're looking at we're eyeing up come four years time? A couple of things just to note. Uh, a couple of notes I kind of made along the way. First, as you said, uh, this this World Cup feels like it just went up to another level and kind of showed if you you give it the right attention, you give it the right space. You know, you build it and people will come. And you know what New Zealand did really well was, you know, they had the they had pop up shops with flags and flags in like the center of Auckland, near essentially down at their Viaduct Harbour, where you know you had a lot of foot traffic, getting the awareness and people can you kind of educating people on when the games were, what was happening, and they really got behind it. Um, when that goes to England in twenty five, that's only going to just go leaps and bounds with the way it's growing then. I think just a couple of points that, you know, from being over there, make sure you kind of host cities are right. You know, Whangarei was good, but you could have, I think you, they missed the trick not doing it in Hamilton or someone with a with a already based on kind of rugby crowd. Um, scheduling issues. Cape I mean, or like Christchurch or something, yeah. Exactly. Like, get it to where you know you're going to have a base and, gonna, and you can kind of build from there. Scheduling issues is the number one thing as well. And again, this it was a big story over in New Zealand at the time, but the fact that you had the All Blacks and the Black Ferns on at the exact same time, you know, All Blacks playing Japan, Black Ferns playing Wales, criminal. Cannot mm-hmm. afford to do that again. And particularly for your host nation, England, but any of the major teams, do not put your Premier women's side up against your Premier men's side and just segment an audience that will have an interest will have a large overlapping interest in both get that mm-hmm. right and then yeah sort out the format as well you know if we can get i think it's getting to 16 teams so it will but getting having a system where you can essentially win one game and still get into a, a quarterfinal or you're having to do maths to try and figure out 
who goes well, what what happens. Like, it's too confusing for your casual fan. I mean, if and if they can, they're my kind of big points from a, from a first hand experience. But like, there's so much potential here, and on in, going to England where the, the seems to be the epicenter of growth, like it's just going to be another level. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I feel like it's we should kind of. I like personally, it's it's more a case of how awesome it is that this is. It, there is so much so much great stuff to work with here from this tournament. If because it feels like here is a real watershed moment for the for the for the the women's game. It, it, like obviously, it's been growing and improving, and and we have professionalism a lot more open at the sevens level, but seeing how much potential there really is and seeing how fantastic and how many great games we saw, there is so much to look forward to uh, for this, for this tournament and seeing how it grows. And frankly, it's the highlight of the year for me, this tournament, that um, women's world cup is the highlight of the year, hands down um, in terms of uh, fantastic games, quality performances, and just sheer single players standing out. Who was a stand? I want to just before we we jump over because I know you mentioned the sevens and we and I was like, oh god, we've got another positive thing to talk about. How amazing because of all the stuff that's been around there. Standout player of the tournament. Who was it for you? Oh, that's a tough one. There were so many, so many that kind of that made a statement. Um, so I, I, from New, I'll go from the New Zealand side. I'll go. I'll go. Um, Demar, the fly half. Ruhay Demand, um, again, absolutely electric. Outplayed her opposite number, Zoe Harrison, and just really stepped in, stepped up as a leader in that New Zealand team when they went through a whole bunch of t- turmoil. And, you know, still only 27 and has gone through so much. Again, it's worth reading her story about just seeing the hurdle she's gone over and to see her kind of flourish on that big stage. Like, again, incredible performance. How many – I'm just the, – the thing that really excites me the most as well is how many – uh, young uh, women are going to look at that tournament and say, that's going to be me. I want to transform myself into that. That is the thing that I think is so exciting. Imagine how many players and how many future players are going to be inspired by watching that uh, that final and that tournament in general. So hats off. It's exciting. It's so exciting to see uh, to see that the, the competition growing leaps and bounds. Let's talk sevens because, uh, again, obviously this happened while we were away. Um Two cents worth, Nathan, on this one because wow, holy crap! The men's winning the sevens in Hong Kong, um, and for the first time in nearly thirty years, um, well, actually, probably was more than thirty years. You probably got the official year on me. On nineteen eighty-eight. Nineteen eighty-eight. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, God, let's talk us through this one. They've got that dog in them. That's it. They are just a bunch of fighters, and you know. There's there's a point that can be made to that, and I'll, I'll make the point later with the Wallabies around the aspect of how they kind of fought their way through, and if it's a it's a more of a problem than a thing we should be celebrating. But you've got to give credit to these guys. Like there was so much, if people were putting it, put an asterisk on their World Series overall title because well, that New Zealand went there for a couple of legs. Ned was Fiji, Samoa. These guys ran the gauntlet. They you know, after going down against Samara in a game which they should have won, they then go on to beat New Zealand, not only beat them, eliminate them from the competition, take out Ireland, who, who knocked it, who was the bronze, took them out of the bronze medal match in the Sevens World Cup, beat France in extra time, who are absolutely killing it. They're killing it in every sort of format, it feels like, on, on the men's side of things. And then beat Fiji, who were, were the kings of Hong Kong, you know, and still are. This is their. 
this is their play. This is their Eden Park. This is where they don't lose. And this, the Aussie side came back from down, you know, several, several wounded, you know, dealing with injuries and just found a way to win. There are, it's a reverse, it's kind of a reverse what the Wallabies have at the moment in the sense of they get themselves in the position, but there is such unreal confidence that they just, they find a way to keep winning. And that's kind of what, what I'm most, I'm not proud of, but most pleased to see is just the way this team is just finding ways to close out games and getting the, titles and the credit they now deserve. It was a statement maker. It was a statement maker because I think, like, whenever you think of sevens, I think, and I think a lot of fans may feel this, but, uh, like, uh, of course we, we're talking about we're, we're, we're in really fantastic times having the women the women's team as, as champions, the men's team as champions. But I think it, it wasn't until this particular result for me personally. I always thought, like, whenever I watch the Australian women's sevens team, like, they are incredible to watch. And for me, like, just seeing them perform and seeing the, the performances they can produce – like it's a joy to watch that team and a joy to be to to see that team perform. And I'd you often had felt, considering how much how fantastic a run they have been on um over the last couple of years, that you know often the men's team, uh you know I wouldn't necessarily say are in their shadow so much, but you often compare yourselves, uh, you know, um you, you often see how they how they compete and. This was a real statement maker, I thought, like a real like, hey, this men's team is is also heading in that direction. And maybe we might be staring down the barrel of of more fantastic performances from both of these sides. It was amazing. And you uh, touching on your points again, like everyone was saying, where's the where's New Zealand? Where's Fiji? Here they are. And uh, they played unbelievably well. It was uh, it was a real joy to watch. And I think this is a good you know, you make so many great points around just that finding a way to win mentality and just building on that consistency. Um, it's it's such a it was such a nice it was like I don't want to say surprise because they're the they're the champions, but like I think do we think like going into that series, I was like, okay, this is going to be a really tough. This is going to be a real uh, a chance to see if it's either contenders or pretenders, and turns out. They can, they're contenders. They are absolute contenders, and that is is such a joy, um, in in every in every sense of the word. They're here to stay, and you know what? With a return of Sydney Sevens in a couple of months, time time we get around them. Yeah, and I wish I could. Say, but and here's the annoying thought: let's let's finally let's let's not ignore the elephant in the room any longer. Um, with this, in terms of how rugby's going, if you were to tell me, like the, the Wallaroos made it to the quarterfinals and and had clearly showed massive signs of improvement during the world, the the World Cup, we have the women's team of the sevens champions, the men's team of the sevens champions. We had a couple of teams make it to the semifinals of of Super Rugby. You'd say that things are kind of starting to the results are starting to look kind of okay. It's not been a bad year, and then you talk about the Wallabies. Oh, um, you talk about the Wallabies, um, <laughs> like, God damn it, God damn it, man! Like, I'm lost. I'm lost now. I think, and I, I, I get the sense that the that that I'm not the only one in this case, judging by by rugby Twitter. So, last time we were here, we were talk- Last time we did a podcast, it was just before the start of the tour. Uh, we f- we finally won the game against a game against Scotland. We go down in a thriller against France, and then this Italy game comes along. Um, 
And the same issue of consistency rears its head once again, and it results in us losing to Italy for the first time ever. And frankly, in a scoreline that should have been more because they were not good. I'm lost now, and I and this was a this was a bit of a watershed moment for me because I've you, for, until this point I feel like it's fair to say a lot of us have been like we can see what Rennie is trying to do here. We can see the the stuff that he's had to deal with. And we can see what he's trying to work with here. There is no excuse for this one. There is no, in my eyes, this is the fan in me talking more than the tactic, but this is a result that, frankly, I, I have no, there is no, I've got nothing on this. I've got nothing. I have absolutely nothing. I have no words for it. I know that you're, you work at Rugby Australia here and you're in a bit of an awkward situation with this podcast, with this, because I'm frankly livid. I'm fucking livid. What do we? Oh, where do we go from here? And let's, let's face it as well. Like occupation or not, I, I was livid as well watching that gut game. Watching get beat by Italy, and guess what? There's probably plenty of plenty of players and coaches as well that were livid to sit in that dressing room afterwards and wonder how the hell you got beat by Italy. We are we're at the stage we are so just in, it's inconsistency at its finest. It is, and I think you raised a good point. I think this was. It's something we've kind of we've touched on in the past before. It's a result like this. It's just it can flip a narrative. It can kind of you start. You, it just puts pressure on everyone. You know, this was always going to be a risk. It was always going to be a gamble to rest all your players. And let's face it, it's been a long year for a lot of them. They've gone through a full international calendar on top of Super Rugby. So, you know, and we are the only team doing five back-to-back tests. That has to be remembered. But you have to win games like this, even if you're resting players. And credit must go to Italy. They were electric. They played a great style of rugby. But God, we can't we can't afford to lose games like that. You that like the pre- pressure's bang on Dave Rennie now. It seems like it. And you know what? You, you can't. You have to accept it. You have to accept that that's there, that's what uh, happens when you drop games there, to Italy. There is for me. I, I like. I can understand the point, but I feel like there is no. Even then, there is no excuse because how many of those players were, you know, were the were like we'd seen them in Australia A. We knew they could perform. We knew that they could deliver um, results. I mean, they did really well in the Pacific Cup. They did really well in that Japan series. Um, there is so much going on with this from from the get go. There is clearly whatever has gone on. There's the fact that they went with the, with this weaker team. Um, indicates, first of all, a bit of a disrespect to what is clearly a, a massively performing Italian, a massively improving Italian side. I mean, let's not forget um, how well their under-20s are doing. There is a lot of growth coming through in Italy. They beat Wales in Cardiff for the first time ever this year. Um, this is a team that's clearly heading in an upward trajectory. And, you know, it, often it's been the case that Italy has been viewed as the as the, you know, the, the guaranteed win on tour um, and viewed as, you know, yeah, they're a first-tier nation, but are they a first-tier nation? They more than absolutely, like, judging by some of the results, the, the fact that they got a win over South Africa, albeit a, a very poor South Africa several years ago, um, and they're clearly a team that is on an upward trajectory, and I have questions. I have questions around, first of all, that what the hell was going on on the field where was the direction? Where was the clarity? More to the point, what was happening with the coaching selections around this trust? You really hope that the team trusts and knows what it's doing because it's, you're doing – It's there is so much. It's one of those things as well. Like, 
Dave Dave Rennie's come out and said, I you know, and he sticks to the fact that that was he believes that was a good enough turn to bet Italy. And you know what? When you look at it on paper, you know, you get, if your first choice tight head, um, your first choice centers, first choice fullback at the time, you know, quality people who have had significant international experience like Will Skelton, Ned, Ned Hannigan, Pete Samu, you know, Darcy Swain, Farfangar. I believe him. I believe that was a quality team. The question is, why couldn't that team put it together against Italy? Why did we have to? Why are we currently sitting at this stage trying to ponder what the hell happened seven days after what was arguably one of their best performances against France? I yeah. think that's, as I said, that's what annoys, that, that's what I think annoys fans is France, you walked away from France being like, you know what? We, we, we should have won that. Yeah. We were a couple minutes away from winning that. And then, but then to get to a stage again, you're then having to try and comprehend losing to Italy. That's what frustrates people. Because, yeah. and the, you know, you say the hot takes and, you know, the system's broken, all that sort of stuff. I'm not that, that far in because my view is you, a system like that doesn't all of a sudden push France to the closest it's, lo- it's looked to losing this year, I believe. Yeah. It's just yeah. that we're so inconsistent that like, we yeah. can't get what. I think the thing is as well, and it, it, there, there is something I do kind of want to just single out. It's the discipline that is annoying. And oh, I, I, want, I want to say it's a Wallabies problem, but I, I'm, starting, I'm starting to wonder if it's just the game style we, we're playing at the moment. In terms of Australian rugby, that is all of a sudden found itself, as the world rugby has changed, it has just found itself susceptible to you know, these, these issues rearing ahead. Because you know, as, I, as I alluded to the sevens, we can, we sit there and go, how good was the fight? They were down down a player against in the quarterfinal, down two in the semi. You look at the Wallaroos. I believe, at least they were when they exited the quarterfinals. They were the most carded team they in were. the entire tournament. They were like, you, we can say there is a you know oh it's a Dave Rennie problem that in terms of so yeah and still still finish the tournament with the most yellow cards with five. We can yeah. sit here and say it's a Dave Rennie problem that discipline is. And you know what? That probably is to an extent. But when I'm, you're seeing across all three grades, surely you have to start asking the question, is it, just, is it something that we're just not adapting right in terms of how we play? Are we missing the trick in terms is. of referee management? What, what is it? it? I think it absolutely is. I reckon it, it, there's often, you know, the, you, you always talk about you've also got to play, you're not, are you, you're not just playing the opposition, you're playing the ref. Because the ref has a particular style, it has a particular approach, and you know these this day these days more than ever, refs are really getting scrutinised for some of the decision making that they have to make, the processes they have to follow. And while I have you know several disagreements with the with the process that refs have to follow in terms of of you know things like mitigation and how you can actually judge the, the danger of, of particular calls and stuff and the impact that that actually has on the game first of all from a safety perspective but also from an entertainment perspective because it's entertainment at the end of the day um you've got to play the ref in front of you the lack of, of ref smarts is debilitating and not to, not just that the fact that this has gone on for several years at this point like there's got to be a point where you realise maybe doing some of the decision-making that you make or maybe the reckless – I mean, there is there is enthusiasm. I get enthusiasm to try and get involved, but you've got to have smarts at this point. And how many mistakes have they made? Because it's now starting to bleed into actual results, yeah. like actual results. It's not good enough. Let's talk. It's, it's, cool. it's, it's not good 
I'm completely with you there. I thought they made good steps in France. I thought, you know, that was, in terms of that discipline-wise, I thought that was a step forward. But it comes mm. back to that, that, that C word. Consi- it, it wasn't consistent. Mm. And, you know, I would be, I, I'm assuming the coaching staff probably have the exact same kind of frustrations and concerns to try to figure out how, how can it just, from how do we fall into these bad habits? How do yeah. we kind of get ourselves in these positions? You know, we, I think we conceded 11, 11 penalties against France. I think it was, yeah, it's like 11-10. We then go 16-9 against Italy with a yellow card that ends up, we led in two tries, which, again, let's face it, the yellow card, you know, Jake, I think Jake Kong gets a lot of hate. I'm, that's not deserved, but I can't understand, I can't reason with this decision to take Iwani off the ball. And, you know, I think there might have been, it might have been coming in terms of one too many penalties, but, it's simple mistakes like that that can be fixed. And we need to really see that in, the, in, in these final two weeks just to have some kind of belief that, okay, they're learning. They're starting to get, starting to get together. We can actually, you know, enter 23 with a bit of hope about where this World Cup will, will lie. Yeah. I think this – look, I think we're, we're – you, you, might, you might disagree with me on this, but this was the key thing I wanted the, the Wallabies to address on this tour. And that is that clear, like they're clearly good enough to be a major competitor with the best teams in the world. You see that against France, you see that against South Africa, you see it against the fact the fact that they can they push they can push New Zealand. And how many close games has Rennie had against New Zealand, even though he's only grabbed the one win? But the problem that we have right now is just the consistency week to week, and this one is probably the biggest indication of that problem like you cannot with good justification play against probably the second best team in the world arguably the first this france that french team is so good and then the following week come out and lose to the 15th ranked team in the world Mm. you can't you cannot do it um i think uh brett mckay summed it up really really well like and i think this is kind of the the point that I kind of landed at following this result, which was he wrote a, a really great article earlier this week and basically summed it up as, you know, I still love the Wallabies. I still will follow the Wallabies, but I don't know what the fuck's going on now. I really don't. I really have no idea where they go from here because uh, the, the like if they, if they like the, the big key thing for me was you need a, you need a successful tour. You need to win more than you lose on this tour. I don't believe they're going to do that. Frankly, considering the consistency that they have week to week, um, and if they don't have a successful tour, if they lose the next two games, if they win one and lose the next two, it just it throws up more questions around this problem with consistency. And that is the last thing that you need right now uh, heading into what is going to be a critical World Cup year. Because we're just as lost, and I know that we were going to touch on this quickly, but we have a whole bunch of we, – we pulled a bunch of stuff from Twitter – because Twitter's just been amazing to watch, um, watching rugby Twitter and watching some of the opinions out there. What are some of the craziest ones that you've seen, Nate? Firstly, we're, we're bringing up Twitter. We have to mention, uh, again, it's slightly off Wallaby's topic, but firstly, Rossi. Oh, God. We've got, I've, I've got to make this point here. Again, I, I know, no South Africans get behind him. as oh, no, he's just speaking the truth. He's just doing this. You, for director of rugby to be acting like that is absolutely... It, it brain blowing. You, you, it's this hiding, hiding your criticism behind sarcastic comments. It, it sets such a bad, 
bad example and just it sets the tempo. Like, you know, we've talked about referee managing. Like, that's worse. That's worse than what, what any of our play, any Wallabies players do on the field. Is if you, your director rugby coming out basically saying we're copping, we're constantly copping a short end of a stick and we get beat. Again, that's it's not good enough. And yeah, sorry, something that had to be mentioned when we say Twitter, Twitter hot takes and all that sort of stuff. But again, in terms of Wallaby's perspective, the, the best one I saw again, everyone's a selector, and you know, I saw more than one comment that said that the problems, well, the problems can be solved by moving Will Skelton to the back row. Don't know how that would work. Mm. We're not even playing to start with. Like, he can barely get, he, you know, struggling to get through 80 minutes playing lock, let alone mm. as a back rower. I thought that was kind of, that was the one that stood out for me. Yeah. <laughs> there's, been some, there's been some great ones. I think that, the, that like, throwing other, throwing other players in has been a big one. We saw one, there's an amazing Facebook group to anyone who is, who is listening called WTF is with Australian Rugby. Um, go follow it. There's lots of like it's not just downers about the game, but there's lots of the uh, of fun, positive discussion too. It's just it's a good place to hang out, despite the title. Uh, but there was a good one from that was like backline changes needed for the Wallabies in 2023. Paisami is out, Jordan is out, Campbell is out, Wright is out, Lalesio is out. Bring in Stewart, bring in Lawson Crichton, bring in Tate Edmed, bring in Isaac Henry, and bring in Dylan Peach. And forward changes get rid of Dan McKellar. I think this is like this one. I'm going okay then. So you're basically going to swap out all of the guys that are currently in the squad with blokes who have barely had any chance to be uh, be in the Wallabies squad themselves or barely get any results. It, it's going to be the same result. You know, you're going to throw a whole bunch of young guys to the sword. Frankly, there's so much going on there. And if you get rid of Dan McKellar leading into a World Cup year. That's a, a like, we, regardless, you've, we've got the cards here that we have to work with. That's the simple truth of it. It's too late to make changes. It's too late to do all of that. Regardless of, of the results, let's be honest, Rennie will go into the World Cup as our as our Wallaby coach. Oh, definitely. And I can't believe it has to be said, but Dan McCall does not pick the team alone. <laughs> it's there's like five. I, my understanding is it's you know it's Rennie. It is McKellar has input. It's Scott Wisemantle. It is all, all your coaches involved. The amount of comments I have to read that says, "Oh well, this is what happens when Dan McKellar picks a side. He p- picks his brumbies." No, it is a shared operation. And for any you know, for anyone that that wants to call some bias out, he's from Queensland. He's a Queenslander. <laughs> you know, and. But like those people, you know who I'm talking about. Like, he, there is no no bias. There's no one person's lesson. It's a joint effort. And like the answer, the problem is when we're in a position where we don't have consistency, takes like this emerge because let's face it, we all panic. We all need a need a quick solution because let's face it, that's all we can do is try and figure something out that's going to work. And you know, I don't. As I kind of alluded to before, I don't think this team is is still that far off. As no. I said, as yeah. I said, I, it's bad teams don't push France to the limits and beat Scotland and Murrayfield. It's just it's as we alluded to. It's the fact that we just can't then put it together multiple weeks at a time that leaves us in this position where we, hot, hot takes fly and we just we panic. That's it. Yeah, like we're I just. 
wouldn't be nice for another out of nowhere win streak again right now, just because there was so much positivity. That's the thing. That's what is the killer. It's I think the the the, the report card boys did a tweet, which was it's the hope that kills you. Just cut like the, clearly the side is good enough, and then they go out and throw and give us dog shit like this. It's just crap. But let's uh let's talk about. Uh, then we did get a couple of good questions, and let's talk before we dive into predictions for next week in the Island series because we've got squad here as well that we that's just dropped, and we're going to talk about that. Um, we got a couple of good questions from from Hugh, uh, long listener of the pod. Shout out to Hugh. Uh, he, he asked a couple of questions. Firstly, is this the end of Banks? Now he's injured again. Do we think the the Foley experiment has worked? And then lastly, assuming that the Gitto's law remains, who are the three people that you're going to take? Um, you know, who of Skelton, Quade, Cooper, uh, Corin Better and Karevi, uh, who are they, who is going to miss out? Um, let's, let's kind of throw it, let's throw it in there and see what you, what are your thoughts? Let's go back. Let's talk Banks and Foley first. All right. Rapid fire. So Banks, uh, confirmation, he's, he has left the Wallabies group. He is with injury. He won't feature again. Um, Foley, this is last game before he goes back to Japan. To answer those questions, oh, I didn't say enough from Banks. I just a fullback is still is still so up for grabs, and you know we've seen it this way. I mean, we'll touch the team better, but with Kelway getting another shot of that jersey, um, yeah, I, I think it kind of bleeds to the third question. The fact he's now in Japan, you know, if this if the Gitto Law stays at three. Which again, it, it might I've I've got no information on it whatsoever, but you know, smarter Janos than me keep trying keep saying I, I think I've I have i heard some some say you know, it could buy out the five or six. Once again, no idea whatsoever. But mm. even still at that, I think he's just he's down the list. So I think that might be under banks. Whether has the full experiment worked? Yeah. I think it's done the job. I think it's on the job we needed. Like it's a paper crack fitter. That's what I think it is. It's papered over the cracks for a small period of time. I don't think it's done the job. Well, like it's the job was we needed someone to come in and steady the ship. Can, yeah, can you make the argument that Foley did it? Because it didn't work. Okay, <laughs> the alternative was, and it's been a real shame because I think he's a really good player in his day. The, sorry, the, the flip, flip side, not the alternative. The flip side is. When Lalesio has had that shot, he, he hasn't performed. Yeah. Outside of that first test in um, Perth, you know, and people want to talk about the manager of the 10s. The reality is he, he had – sorry, Adelaide as well. Adelaide, there was, there was absolute sparks there. But there's been too many of the times where he just hasn't performed at the level that we know he can. And that's, that's what I mean of has the experiment worked. It's the experiment of Foley coming in, you know, showed he's still – He's still a viable option if we if we need another paper paper crack. It's just God, I want to see Noah just kick on and make his jersey his own. Yeah, he's such such a good player in his day, but he's just again he didn't do enough against Italy. And, and yeah, we can contend about Ben Donaldson and you know pulling pulling Noah with five minutes to go, but like realistically, Noah didn't do enough to stay on. No, in that early test, he threw a good ball to Tom Wright, and that was about it. Yeah, Donaldson came on, looked good, had a couple of good touches leading into that Neville try, and you know he found himself in that situation so bad. But the reality is, you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that situation. You know, if if we're in that exact same situation and Noah misses the kick, not Ben, the conversation would have been, 
well, Dave should have pulled Noah. Why is why was Ben sitting on the sideline if you're not going to use him? It's like, come on, guys. Again, we can't have perfect hindsight with this, but again, getting back to the question, has I think it's worked to an extent, the follow one. And in terms of the Giddo picks, I think you kind of you've got to bracket him and Quade Cooper in the same category. I I think if Quade, if Quade comes back fit, he's your man. Again, he's in terms of playmaking, like stocks, I think he's the only one who's, who's risen simply because we've realised how important he can be to just setting aside. Whilst you know we're still still trying to get the Lesio to that next level, and Foley, as you said, probably didn't show has shown glimpses and shown that he's an option, but isn't the main option. I then think you look at the other two. I haven't been like wowed by Paisami at twelve as compared to what Samu gives us. So I think he's your second. And then that kind of brings you down to Marika and Skelton, two positions which we're pretty deep on at the moment. Like, yeah. I would lean towards Marika, though, because when you consider, if we can, you look at lock stocks, you know, Nick Frost, I think, has been one of the guys that's really stepped out this spring tour. Look at Cade Neville, likewise. When you then consider you've got someone like uh, Matt Phillips come in, and by the way, I don't think it's been a coincidence that all of a sudden we're struggling at ruck time and, and Matt Phillips out of the side. I, I've yeah, said this on this podcast yeah. several times that he is the most underrated member of that Wallaby squad, and this is exactly why. It's because he he's so mobile and he's so his work that he does around that attacking defensive breakdown, his accuracy, is we miss. So you imagine if he can come, if he comes back full fitness, then there's there's your third lock. You then start thinking, well, Isaac Rodder hasn't been seen all year with a foot injury. If he's back, he comes back into the frame, you then get guys like Darcy Swain, who, once again, showed, showed in Italy his talent. Got, um, Jed Holloway can cover lock. Um, Ryan Smith, I thought, if he can have a, take similar leaps to what he did this year, he becomes the contender. Do you need a Will Skelton as much as much as you need a Marika Corumbetta? I think your three have to, at this stage have to be Marika and Karevi and Quaid slash Bernard, whoever's kind of fit out of those two. Yeah, it's it, it, it's it's a tough question. They're good questions. I, like going back to that point on on Foley. Look, I don't think it's worked. I think it's it is a paper cracker. But that in saying that, that's not a reflection on Bernard Foley himself and his performance. I think he his particularly that game against New Zealand. He really showed that he's still an excellent player. But more the point, the, the positive that did come out of this whole experiment is the fact that he actually still is a genuine contender. It's I think you can so so it's no slouch on Foley the player, no slouch on his capabilities, and he definitely has to be in the conversation in regards to ten. But the fact that he even has to be in that conversation is worrying. Um. If you want to summarise the inconsistency of the Wallabies, why not start with the inconsistency of the fact that, I mean, Lelesio is a great player. He's a good player. But the, the inconsistency he has almost is sim, sim, similarly mirroring of the, of the Wallabies in general right now. Just the, the showing up one week and not the other week is, it's just infuriating considering how much talent you know they have, how good a player you know they are. And I don't know. I really – I'm as, I'm as confused now. I'm I'm more confused now than, than I've ever been about the whole thing. 
it's it's a difficult question, and mm. I know he has how to fix it. Um, it, it. It comes back to the simple point of we wouldn't be this confused and this frustrated if we didn't know there was talent there, and we didn't think that this team can be special. But yeah, yeah just it's it's one of those things. Benny Darwin has, has made a couple of really interesting comments over the last week or so. He he kind of said that he's kind of considering the, the cohesion issues, which is all of the stuff that he's been doing with game line analytics. Uh, he saw this, he kind of saw this game and this result coming, especially when all of those changes were made. And um, which is so discon- like frustrating to hear about when you hear about the, the the work that he does around players playing together, time together, everything around that. And it was, you know, even despite the changes, I was hoping that that issue would be addressed considering the fact that these, a lot of these guys had played in that Australia A side, but just, I've got nothing. I've got yeah. nothing. And, and that's the most, and that is disheartening. It's really disheartening. So with that in mind, let's finish off this podcast and talk about Ireland. Um, coming up this weekend. We're playing the number one side in the world. Of course we are. Um, uh, off the back of this result. Um, we've got the squad here, and I'll, I'll just read it out in full because we've got uh, Slipper in, Slipper, Parecki, Alau, Toa, Frost, Neville. We've got Holloway coming in at six, Hooper at seven, Valentini at eight, and then we have White and Foley uh, combining with Wright um, and uh, Marky Mark and Kellaway in the back with uh, Paisami and Nikitao in the centres before uh, Fainga, Robertson, Tupo, Skelton, Samu, Gordon, Lalesio and Bataya make up the, the the reserves. Strong squad, like probably much, like a lot of the guys being swapped in, a much stronger squad. But I'm asking this question, if we somehow manage to squeeze together a good performance against Ireland, I'm going to be even more angry. <laughs> Honestly, that's the that's the reality, isn't it? And you know what? To win, I think we will as well. I, I, I again, I've I've joked to a couple of people. I I generally think we're going to win this purely because of how how we played against Italy. Yeah, if we manage a win against Ireland, I'm going to be so angry. Like I'll it's have gonna, no words for how pissed it, I'll be. Like because, it'll be. A, It'll be a happy angry as well. Like you, you, I would be so happy for this team if they can put it together and you know, show show what they're capable of. But it, as you said, it's going to be that that frustration of, for goodness sake, why can't we do this every week? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like where, like where is the excuse for you? It's out. Like you could, if you're producing a performance like this, um. Like if you if you produce a performance like this, what the hell happened the week before against uh, against Italy? That's the question you ask. And uh, this is this is a talented side. This is a good side. It's a quality squad. Um, and I think they will make a really solid game of it against Ireland. I think Ireland will still be favourites to win. I still think Ireland will win the game. I still think I think that they're gonna they're going to win it. Um, probably by a margin of less than seven because that's how this this whole this whole thing thing works now. But I, I, I don't know. Like, I'll be if they do manage to make a game of it. If they do manage to win, I just I don't know where I sit right now. That's the simple truth of it. It's so frustrating. But I, I tend to agree with the fact that it's a very strong squad. Like, and it Rennie is, has always it, said, it, yeah, this has always been the one of earmarked. You know, Rennie's said from the start, you know, this has been the game that they're targeting. This has always been where we're going to see the strongest Wallaby squad, and I think it is. Like, 
only thing I ca- you kind of contest, I would have liked to see. I, I like the one-two punch that White and Tate brought in, in Scotland, and would like to see kind of what Tate did off the bench. But again, Jake Gordon very serviceable as a, as a scrum half, and you know, as I said before, probably doesn't get the credit he deserves. Um, that that bench impact, or oh, Taniel Tupo and Will Skelton coming on the exact same time—that's killer. Yes, please. If they show up, I think I think Tupo has been extremely inconsistent this year. But I do agree on Skelton, though. I think Skelton has improved a lot, especially compared to last year's tour, where he just kind of felt like an extra passenger. Um, so I, I thought, yeah, I thought Skelton's best game um, for a while was against Italy, in yeah. terms of back in the Wallabies colours. Um, and I was also thought Tupo. You look at that that penalty overshadows a penalty against Scotland overshadowed what was a really strong second half for him. Like he. I think first impact, he murdered their scrum and then won a turnover a couple of minutes later. Like, he was good. But, yeah, you know, the, the fact is, since you give away a penalty like that, no one's going to remember it. <laughs> so, again, if they can get that impact, that that's going to be good. Again, outside of that, forward pack, I think, is probably the strongest we have right now. Um, again, Kelway going to fullback was interesting. I say, listening to Dave speak, it kind of feels like Jock Campbell... Yeah, he's still in contention, but you feel like he was—he's the one that's copped a bit of the, the not the backlash, but the consequences for the Italy defeat. Just having a bit more of a quieter game than what um, Nwanga Nitawasi had. I think Dave Dave likes his physicality as a winger, so it'll be interesting to see what he goes against and what he does against Mac Hansen. He's probably coming up marking. Um, for me, looking at the squad, I. I'm going to put pressure on the centers. I need to see more from them. When you remember that they both those guys played against Italy and frankly look second best. Like these guys, on their day, I think are what can be considered top five in the world in their respective position. I need to say that. I need to say that this week against a great island side. Um, outside of that, the Hooper Van der Fleer battle. Oh, mm. that's good. That warms the warms the kind of back row's heart, doesn't it? I I personally <laughs> personally think, and this is before we get into prediction, like the outcome of predictions. My bold take is, yeah, everyone's talking about Van der Fleer. He's player of the year nomination. He's Ireland's heart and soul. This is going to be the did you forget about me game from Michael Hooper. I I I make the prediction now. Michael Hooper will come out and just with a statement to make. And say, you're you're good, mate. But there's there's only one seven who's the best in the world, and that's me. I'm I'm call and let's face it. After having to watch a result like Italy, I don't think no one no one's gonna be as fired up as Michael Hoover is to really kind of put a performance together. So that's my take. An interesting one, a very interesting one. I think that it's it, you do make a good point, and I do think that battle in the forward packs, not just between uh, those two sevens, and is it's going to be just a fantastic game. I think I absolutely agree that the centres is going to be a key uh, a key matchup because God, uh, you know, Paisami and Nicotel are going to have their work cut out. Um, that um, that um, Irish backline is really good. Like you only have to look at some of the couple of the games that they've had so far this tour, the attacking prowess and their ability to to shift the ball so quickly along the field, really entertaining rugby, um, especially dangerous in broken play. Uh, there's so much to like about this Irish side, and 
um, you know, it's clear that they are, there is a, a, cl a clear sense that they're going, that they are, you know, they believe themselves to be the world number two, the world, world number one. They're starting to believe it. And it's going to be so, and right at the right time as you're heading into a World Cup year. Let's talk predictions. Um, and out of sanity for myself, I'm going to make you go first with who you think is going to win. Uh, I've already, I think I've made my position pretty clear and I'll, I'll elaborate further after you. But do you actually think there's going to be a Wallaby win? You know what? Yeah. I think this is a perfect bounce back position for the Wallabies to be in. I think this is always, as, as look, I've kind of noted on, even before they left to Europe, this has always been the game which has been marked as this is the game we want to win. This is the game where we're going to put our best performance out there. We're going to put our best team out there and show them what we can do. Or show, try and make a statement. Which again, which is, I, was, I find fascinating that they've kind of planned these teams out so far in advance. But I think the loss just adds that extra spark to prove a point. It's, it, you know, the combination of resting players will just gives them a nice freshen up, even though Ireland's done the same thing. I just feel like, Again, to fill that narrative of we don't know what this Wallaby side can do, what's so consistent, they're so inconsistently just performing week to week that they will find it somehow find a performance that can knock off Ireland. You know, we saw South Africa push them to the limits a couple of weeks ago. You know, it's it, it's I, I generally think being the underdogs, they can put themselves in a the winnable position and. Yeah, I'm comfortable enough to say that I reckon you'll get enough of a bounce back and enough of a kind of a team wanting to prove something not only to themselves but to you know to media to Dave Rennie that they've that they've still got his back and vice versa that they can get a win. Mm. Yeah, I know. I knew that was going to be your response. I knew it mm. is. I, look, and it might be. Might be blind hope at this stage because that's all, all we've got. Like, can't you yeah. can't look at the form guide? Form guides, but well, there's no point looking at it at this stage. We we don't know what side's rocking up, but I don't know. It's just I've got that feeling that this is just going to be the, the time they put that. It, that's the, it's been that mindset that this is a game that they've really targeted to to you know make a statement and they'll finally put it together just to kind of just confuse us even more. Yeah, media. Well, look, it, mediocrity burns me. That's how I feel right now. And this is, and this has truly been a period of uh, this year. Twenty twenty two has just been a period of so many ups and downs and burning mediocrity. I don't know what the hell to go with anymore, frankly. Um, and do I think the Wallabies are going to turn up? Yes. Do I think they're going to put in a good performance? Yes. Do I think they're going to challenge Ireland and really make a game of it? Yes, I do. Um, so I am in agreement with you on that. Um, I don't think they're going to win. I think Ireland uh, it, it, Ireland has shown that there are a few places harder to win right now than Aviva Stadium in Dublin. Um, and if the Wallabies manage to scrape a win, I I just don't know how the hell I'm going to react because I don't know I don't know what to, what to I don't know where I sit right now I don't know where I sit anymore with the squad I don't know where I sit with this with the with the performances anymore I'm going to say just for some sort of consistency for some sort of consistency of where we are at I'm literally saying that I think Ireland are going to win just because of the fact that they're, oh, they're playing so well. This is probably the most Jekyll and Hyde moment 
I think I've ever seen the Wallabies, frankly. Just this tour and, no, this entire year, I have no idea what is going to be presented to me on uh, on the weekend. And, like, if, if they lose, I feel like I can accept losing and I can accept being second best. If they win, I feel like I'm just going to lose my shit. That's that's pretty much it. If they if they win, I feel like I'm going to lose my shit. That's the simple truth of it. Because I don't because of again the it's the hope that kills you. Yeah, <laughs> you can't put it. Couldn't put it better myself. The, it's the hope that kills you. That's the truth of it. Um, let's call this pod. Uh, it's always a pleasure chatting with you, Nate, and hopefully we'll uh, have some sort of sense of what to talk about when we convene next week. And uh, I'll hopefully be. Uh, I'll be settled. I'll be settled in my in in my new place, so I'll be able to, we'll be able to have a much more consistent week to week podcast again for the last couple of games of this tour. Um, hopefully, we're talking about uh, something more positive when it, on the Wallabies front. But uh, pleasure as always, chatting, mate. Always, and you know what? I'm what I'm also really grateful for. Seven a.m. start. Let's oh, go. God, yeah. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. That's true. Get, that get, true. get behind it. Perfect time to get up on a Sunday. Crack it on. Get it on stand. And let's let's hope the Wallabies put a performance together. And again, as much as we much as we say we'll be frustrated that if they do get the win because because of the points we've raised, God, I, I I'd just like this. I'd like this team to have that that win under the belt. Just 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 for to a sake and, and for the future of of the Wallabies heading into twenty three. Mm. Well, I mean, look, it it, it makes the if, if they win, then the tour is still alive. You can still have a successful a successful tour because then it le- it just leaves us with the game against Wales going in. So uh, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know what to believe anymore. But hey, it's the hope that kills you. Um, yeah. thank you very much, Nathan, and thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in. Uh, we'll uh, we'll aim to finish off with a couple more consistent episodes to finish off this, uh, what has been a crazy year of rugby, put it frankly. We'll catch you the next time round. Well, what did go wrong? I'll have to look look and think about it, think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Shirley Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Shirley Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. Very good, three cheers for Shirley Bombo, very good, very good. <laughs>